podcast that investigates the experience of self, the events that have shaped our world, the people that we have become, by focusing on the person first. This is the place. Yeah. They were like, let's look at some others. I was like, nah. <laughs> feeling in this place. Yeah, is and what I, I want. think it's also really wonderful that you've like this is this is quite a new building. Right? Uh, it was their first renovation in this area. So actually, in the history of WeWork, it's the oldest, yeah. but it's one of their first new buildings in this area. Okay, but even when you look out the window, you can see old building to your right, new building to your left, yeah, and exactly. I just think that's really important. Yeah. Because it roots the, you a bit to yeah. see something old. Yeah, completely. Yeah. That, exactly, that chapel yeah. was so important. That was also um, empty and they had antique sales in there. That's all it was, constant antique selling. How cool oh, was so that? Oh, so it's not even a place of worship. It's not even a place of worship. Oh, really? How yeah. is? It's de- mm. Maybe it's deconsecrated, yeah. Um, oh, that's so cool. But that's now gone and it'll be a new thing. Ah. So we're not sure what, they've just seen it all being emptied out. Do you know the modern house? I'm so sorry, I'll shut up in a second. But do What's you know, the modern house? Do you know the modern house? No. Oh, it's my favourite blog, um, and it's an architecture. I do know it because you yeah. put me onto it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and it's only eligible for certain houses. Pe- They're beautiful. Yes, yeah. but they can be costing fifty grand, or they can be costing like twenty million. Like, yeah. But design is yeah. more important than price. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was in the founder Albert's office on Tuesday, and it is an old church. Really? Yeah, it's an old church. Yeah. Gosh, what's it yeah. like experience when you walk in there? Like a, do you feel? Do you feel holy? No. Not holy, but do you feel like there's a space there that's it's just a different type of. It, you feel a different energy in yeah. the air, and it's a funny thing. There's a guy whose podcast I've been listening to who talks about time capturing energy, like time passes, but time also captures energy. Okay, I don't understand that. Neither do I, <laughs> but. Like, why does the air feel different in a church to yeah. a school yeah, yeah. to a bar? Definitely. I can, Even when you go in on your alone. Uh, that's kind of what he's trying to express. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. Yeah. I reckon it's a combination of all these things, like just that smell that reminds yeah. you of a place that was fairly like musty and, you know. Yeah. And, um, and it takes me back to school a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, I've got that sm- smell when you walk into, like, an old... If you go upstairs at a second-hand clothes shop and no-one's up there, you just go into the room, you're creaking around on your own. <laughs> I get that sense of being, like, in a church yeah, then as well. Yeah, 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 I agree. Okay. What's your earliest memory of someone who was good at life? Don't know. I, I generally, I don't know, and that might sound a bit weird, but... I reckon there's a lot of people like me who are only children who would say they don't know because growing up as an only child, you're so in your own world and forming your own thoughts and processes that you're not interested in how anyone else lives. I think until you're a lot older, you're all about forming your own self. Really? Yeah. You think that's because you're an only child? Mm, I do. Did you have a? Did you have like an imaginary friend? I don't know if I had an imaginary friend, but I had and still have this very vivid imagination, yeah. and this real ability that anything is possible. And I think that comes from not being forced to share, because when you have to share and you have to cooperate and collaborate with other people, those are constraints right 
particularly when yeah. you're a child, like, those are constraints. And I didn't have those constraints. Yeah. So as a result, I think it's made me a bit of a dreamer and a believer and, yeah. And look what you look to yourself to solve things a lot. Yeah, yeah always, always. Yeah. And I think that's... <sighs> It means that some people find me easy to work with because I'm innately proactive. I'll get on and resolve things. And some people find me perhaps more difficult to work with because I've probably got quite clear ideas about what I want to do. Is that because you've thought about it or you also make decisions easily? Both. Both? Yeah. Were you always like that? Yeah. Really? Yeah, very... Very independent, but not in a wild way. I think I learned to be quite measured earlier on just because I was so used to being in my own world and in my own space Yeah, that I knew that I had to control myself because nothing else would. As I said, because I didn't have to share and I didn't have an older or younger sibling to work around. It's interesting. Yeah. My, my wife is an only child and we she says, Remember, share, share. Like she, <laughs> she I'm basically very similar to you, even though I had a younger yeah. sister two years younger. Yeah. I I had I was always off on my own, um, you know, daydreaming, playing with my yeah. toys and stuff and creating yeah. my own world. Yeah. And she was very sociable, my sister. Okay. Very sporty and engaged, yeah. an achiever. Yeah. All the public uh, well, lots of the kind of the ways you would um, ascertain someone's success. Mm. She ha- she hit a lot of those kind of marks in life, and I was definitely the oh god, is there something wrong with him? He doesn't go outside in the sun. That type of thing. Did you have that? No. You were quite sociable. No. Only when I want to be. Yeah. Because I'm so comfortable being by myself. Yeah. That I have to really want to be social, otherwise I just won't be I can laugh at myself and say sometimes um, in the networking times of a conference I will just pretend I'm really really hungry and just eat everything at the buffet so I don't have to talk to anyone (laughs) 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 or I I have some very urgent things that I have to do on my phone so that I just don't talk to anybody that's interesting. But and I don't feel bad about that because it means that when I do interact with people, I'm 100% there yeah. and 100% present. Yes. And then when I retract, I'm, I retract fully. That's, yeah, fully retract. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so what was your kind of concept growing up around friends? I'm interested in this then, on this subject, concept as we started. of friends. Yeah, so what was When I was growing up, I think friends were optional for me. Yeah. Because uh, life is much simpler, right, when you're a kid. Life is so much simpler. Also, when you're a really young kid, you don't need people to do things with because you've always got a parent around or someone around to do something with. right because you're not left on your own whereas when you get a bit older maybe you're a teenager there are things that you want to do that you probably don't want your parents doing with you like you don't want them going to Camden Market with you or like going to see a gig with you and (laughs) you probably don't want to go on your own so you need friends then to do stuff with but that's a great thing because you want to share experiences with them as well Mm. Um, but it's hard I think um being a teenager and that's 
not because of how society has evolved now, but because being a teenager is a lot about finding the edge of how much you fit in, whereas how much you're an individual. And that probably extends into your 20s as well. Yeah. But I guess when you get older, life gets harder, more complicated, and everyone leans on their friends more. So I think Has life got more com- complicated? Yeah. <laughs> Massively more complicated, What's I think. What's more complicated about it? Well, responsibilities, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the usual adult responsibilities that we all have. Do you mean transitioning into the responsibilities from none, or do you mean actually right now, same things? What do you mean? So responsibilities, the transitions for responsibilities, I found incredibly difficult and put off. Okay. Didn't buy a house till 30-something. Yeah. Um, just put everything off. Yeah. And now I've got the responsibilities more than I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And I'm probably the most comfortable and chilled and happy with all of it. I've got a very good way, I think, of working with that level of responsibility. But the transition to that state yeah. was a fucking nightmare. I don't even know about the transition because during the transition, it doesn't all happen at, mo- at once. It's incremental. Yeah. So I don't know how... If it stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now, I think we all work too hard and we probably all sit down for too long. So our mind-body connection is almost permanently imbalanced. And I think that makes life tricky. Yeah. And that's as an internal, you know, that's the internal conflict. But then the external conflict of the bills to pay, the relationships to keep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Obviously, we, we should also note that we both work in an office. Yeah, we yeah. work, yeah. Yeah. So, um, how have you... I mean, I'm going to just skip about all over the place. Yeah, do. Um, so, how have you dealt with that then, that transition and uh, definitely that conflict of yeah. you know, not being in balance? How do you deal with that? Okay, three things. Mind, body, connection makes such a difference to everything and I think particularly when you work in in an office your mind can be really super duper active and your body can just be like dead practically you know it's just not doing anything and I just think that biologically humans are meant to move and meant to be active and I'm wondering if that's why people are getting into more and more extreme sport longer and longer marathons because their minds are so active with this job that they're doing and then their body needs to catch up so I need to make sure that I move my body every day in whatever way not for the physical reasons but actually for the sort of mental reset reasons of like connecting my body body to my mind yeah but the two other ways are so growing up as an only child I think you get used to the sensation of winning things because you get to do things your own way a lot Um, and obviously things aren't like that in the real world and I think it took me far too long to realize that life's not about winning and losing because Mm. actually you know, that makes life zero sum. And now I don't aim to win. Now I aim to, I don't know, what do I do? I think about group wins now rather than my own wins, if that makes sense. So you think about sharing? I think about sharing, but I also think about lower friction existences. <laughs> and what that I, sounds like something I want. So 
sharing is so something like time you can't really share do you know what I mean like time is a finite resource but if you're really really busy doing something or many different things and you don't have much time left over to just like chill and decompress you're gonna be a bit tricky to be around um so lower friction existences involve people in their households i think doing less and having more downtime and possibly spending more time on their own does that also mean making less decisions or 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 being easier to be won over on a decision as well i think it means compromise i think that does mean that explicitly does mean sharing and compromise compromise. yeah and 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 realizing that the best possible outcome for you is no longer you winning and the other person losing. It's everyone winning. Yeah. Yeah. And the final thing is embracing failure. And I was absolutely raised and went to a school where failure was never celebrated. And if I was redesigning the national curriculum, I would rewrite it to celebrate failure because failure for me and tons of other people I know is actually the best way that we learn, that we reinvent ourselves, the best way that we grow. And I don't think I realised that until I was in my late 20s. Or, yeah, at least late 20s. And um, I read a book called Hashtag Girlboss. Do you know it? No, girl boss. Hashtag girl boss, yeah, by Sophia Amoroso, who set up Nasty Girl, which is like um, an American version of ASOS. It's fast fashion. It's oh, not. I think I might it's not that. very ethical, but she set it up with like <laughs> two hundred bucks in her bedroom, selling stuff on eBay, and then she was so successful on eBay they actually kicked her off, and that's what caused her to set up her own fashion platform and. And brand, um, and she talks a lot about how she is a product of her failures, not yeah. her successes. It's her failures that have actually driven her success. Yeah, completely. Yeah, we we got a new chap starting with us today, and um, I sat next to me because his manager's out. He's only in his first week, and uh, I said, "Right, so how many actions and kind of results have we got done today?" He's like, "Oh, I've started these things," but I'm, and he started to explain immediately why they weren't going the right way, and I was like. Forget all that. Just give me the answers and just burn through as many as you can. You're going to make a ton of mistakes. Let's get them all done in year one. And he looked at me with like an open mouth. I was like, just hit it up. I don't care what happens. I'm here to protect you. Just start making mistakes. And he he just didn't seem to register as like, that is really what he's here to do. Mm. But it absolutely is. Let's start hitting those mistakes, making those errors. For for me, this works quite well. And um, the moment you're emotionally invested into the thing that happened and you yeah. feel that series of guilt or pain yeah. your your um, your memory's now listening to me and now I can feed in the right information because until then it's all conceptual I think what you're saying is is so interesting though because if someone had said to me Mona I want you to make as many mistakes as possible in this time period I'm not sure how I would have responded to that. Well, this, I mean, he's the beginning of his career. <laughs> yeah, but for me, at the beginning of my career, I felt more, much more pressure to stand out and to shine. Um, yeah, but what's shi- yeah, shining with what? Winning? Being better. So, yeah, winning, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think if you set that as a goal, that's probably... 
I don't know. I've, so, look, some people will get there. If I had 200 people to kind of engage yeah. with, it was different. I've got a smaller company, mm. so I have to try and measure, you know, mm. do it to the person. But um, So people's screw-ups hurt you more, actually, because you're a smaller company. They do, but I, the moment they're listening to, oh, I care, like there was that phrase I use with all the guys of, tell me I forget, show me I remember, make me do it myself and I understand. I think it's like an old Greek philosophy. Okay. And it, it just makes complete sense because how you embed memories in people, mm. I'm obsessed with trying to find mm. a way to connect and keep that memory. And it's normally basically around pain, which is the moment they're experiencing something terrible. I'm like, this is the moment. We're going to reset this as of today, but remember this moment and bring this up yeah. next time. Because other, you know... Um, it's it's taken me many, many years of trying things and failing to get to a level where I really understand, you know, what the value was in all that entire experience of thinking, acting, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've now just cut it down to a super fine action, 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 just constant actions. Anyway, I'm not saying I've got anything, there's nothing I can say that I've done that's, you know, uh, to be celebrated, but... um, it's just an observation of, of that. Of It's interesting also how you're going through, you were going through your early life, like you say, basically, I, I guess you were mitigating it with your parents, right? So you were, every time there was a decision that came up, yeah. if you wanted to go to Canberra Sands versus so and Legoland, yeah. you you could, it was down to you. I could govern it, yes. And that was it. If you, yeah, if it yeah. was resolved, it yeah. would be between the three of you. Because frankly, but. they were parents. Why would they want to go to either? They were doing it for me. I was a very lucky child, right, that they were giving in that way. Yeah. Um, why would they want to go to Legoland? Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I've made this simple. There's one of me. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how did you build empathy for people then from that? starting block I mean I failed for a very long time I think I don't even know if empathy was in my vocabulary I mean this like genuinely I do think that this word empathy and the frequency of its use is a more recent phenomenon like maybe the last five to seven years and I really welcome um all of the dialogue there is now on um EQ and emotional intelligence I think it's really powerful yeah I think that it's tricky. I went to very selective schools and then a selective university and I, as a result, thought that everyone's brain worked in the way that mine did and then I joined the workplace and realised that there were more diversity of brains and I wasn't sure how to work within that. And it just, yeah, it took time and probably pissed a lot of people off um, along the way. But it's never too late to learn empathy at all. And actually, yeah, I guess I channel an appreciation of people who can do things better than I can. There's obviously like tons of things that I can't do very well that people around me can do much better and I'd rather channel it that way. Yeah. I'd rather find someone's value than sympathise with them for being crap at something. Does that make well, sense? Well, sympathy is different, isn't it? That's understanding. Empathy, I think the definition is, I could be wrong, to actually feel by understanding by your own emotional memory how someone's feeling. Yeah. You know, that's the difference. Sympathy is... I'm. Um, I can understand how you feel. I feel sorry for you. But empathy is actually we connect on a mem- on an emotional level. So again, I think that as we get older and life gets more complicated, it's harder and harder to empathise with somebody else. Yeah. 
Um, and the value of a good friend can sometimes be that they recognise that they can't really empathise with you and what you're going through. I really think actually empathy has limitations, quite fierce limitations, actually, I see as I get older. What, so it's actually pernicious? It, it can... No, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but empathy doesn't resolve things, in my view. Yeah, it, it puts you in the room. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But it doesn't help you walk out of the room yeah. feeling re-energised. I don't think it does that. Yeah, totally. It may not even let you out of the room, yeah. Mm. So, do you think you're like, are you a problem solver? Is that kind of one yeah. of your things? Are you a salesperson? No, but my Myers-Briggs, so Myers-Briggs, you know this. I know, yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, puts people into categories test. based upon their yeah. personalities. But my Myers-Briggs results show that I'm quite visionary and quite an inspiring person. And some of the feedback I've received over my career is, yes, I am really visionary and have these creative ideas. But I sometimes struggle to take people with me on that journey. So that's something that I've been trying to work on. Right. Because otherwise it's just me going off and having ideas, but you, nothing comes of it. So what, so storytelling, so they understand Yeah, storytelling, yeah. yeah. So I've trained myself to be a good storyteller. I'm quite proud of this, actually, because no one really taught me yeah. but the fact that I've trained myself means anyone can train themselves and I think yeah. that's wonderful and actually the way I trained myself was by watching loads and loads of TED Talks oh right and I would keep a note of the things the speakers did that really resonated with me that I really liked. That's a really good idea. And then I built up this sort of body of ideas and things that I wanted to emulate and yeah. that's what I do. Nice. Remixer. Of other people's songs, <laughs> yeah, in a way, yeah, or just a writer of your own. So, because um, I think you're, um, you when I met you, I was um, not that not in Congress of the role that you did with your personality, but I was surprised at just how engaging and communicative you were. You know, and I thought um, you don't need to be this good at this to do this job. Or am I, am I wrong? Do you think? But then, mm. uh, what I kind of think I, I meant is that I've met other people who do a similar role and they're not like this at all. Yes, so have I. And do you know what I mean? Yes, so have I. We should probably just say for the record, not the company, but what you do. Yeah, so have I. I think that there are many people who work in analytical roles that maybe aren't necessarily not as communicative, but maybe as visually and colourfully as communicative as I've tried to become. Yeah. But... Someone once said to me, you're only as good as your content. And if people don't understand your content and they yeah. don't connect with your content, then you may as well stay at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's really, really important to be able to, yeah, to be able to interact and connect in that way. Yeah. So that, has, has that, that storytelling piece of you, yeah. that um, connecting with individuals, has that come naturally or has that been a part of a later evolution or has it always been there? No, definitely a later evolution, yeah. I would say. Um, I was, yeah, quite a shy kid. Yeah. Um, particularly as a result of being so comfortable in my own company from a, from a young age. Yeah. Um, I didn't need to communicate very colourfully as such. But I guess... I realised that there was a gap in the financial workplaces that I've encountered 
for powerful, honest, conviction-based storytelling. And I meet so many people who give me a shopping list of facts in my <laughs> industry. Yeah. And I love facts and I'm a yeah. data geek. Yeah. But if I can't remember those facts when I leave the room, yeah. what's the point? But if I tell you a story yeah. and I incorporate some f- couple of facts in it, yeah. you'll remember. Yeah. Um, how do you analogize them? Do you um, do you like pick films or like uh, do you, do you pick like characters that people know? If I'm if you're trying to explain something really complex, yeah. Especially there was an article recently about the financial literacy of people, yeah. And they said broadly, if you break people down to certain categories, most people have a understanding that a fourteen and a half year old person would do with their bank. They said like. Yeah. Broadly, that's the majority of people. Okay. And there's a small amount of people that might have a, a financial literacy of a 15 to a 17-year-old. Mm-hmm. And everybody else, if they're higher than that, it's like an 18-person, a year-old person and plus. It's basically just saying, like, you thought that someone in their, in their 20s might understand it to this degree. It's basically roughly the same as this other person who's much younger. Yeah. So when you're trying to communicate yeah. these things to people, do, yeah. is there something that you have a favourite either story or way of converting it to something that people know and understand better is there anything like that so the most powerful stories are the things that have happened to me so i always try to relate them to my sense of self yeah um and of course that's a you know a surefire way to create this um honest connection that i'm yeah. looking for yeah um and I find I'm comfortable with mocking myself. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the way that I would go about it. Yeah, um, and I, Yeah, and I guess I'm fortunate that in a lot of the investment analysis that I do, I can relate it to themes. And I guess more recently I've become a bit of a poster child for ESG or socially responsible investing. And, yeah, I mock myself, like... I'm practically vegan. I drive an electric car. Like my best friends are my plants. You know, like <laughs> I can, I can. I've got a rescue. What plants dog. have you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what plants? Are you are you actually asking me? What, Genuinely. So I live in. I live quite centrally in London. I live in Islington, and um, actually our garden is small. It's not much bigger than this room. So it's I don't know, like four meters by two meters or something. It's small. So what happens if you want to grow stuff? You can't grow across as you typically would. We have to grow up. Yeah. And so we have these pockets filled with soil attached to the... We've basically, like, created a living vertical garden. They're, like, fashionable at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Do you remember Brassai did a joke about this? No. They went... They they got a uh, famous presenter, took her into a field and went, new vertical farms can go almost two miles up into the air... Uh, and it was like a joke that they got them to say all this stuff that was complete rubbish. So and now it's become true. Oh, that's really interesting. The results are the tastiest things get eaten fast. Even though I live in this urban part of Islington, there are predators. Um, oh, seeming, yeah? Yeah, so like strawberries, anything remotely tasty. Tomatoes, what will eat it? Will squirrel just, go Yeah, for it? just gone. Like, I, I'm, I'm not even sure who the culprit is, but gone. 
I need to get you an Arlo camera or something for maybe, the garden. Maybe, maybe. Indoors, I'm a real fan of texture, so I really like ferns. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I like ferns. I think succulents are cool. Yeah. Cheese plant? No, I haven't got one of them. No. <laughs> the thing is, I like plants. I think plants are cool, but I think animals are way better. Way cooler, yeah. Yeah, animals are way better. Do you have your kind of domesticated animals inside and do you have to look after the, some of the wild animals as well? As in, do you like, not look after them, but do you feed them? Uh, to keep them away from your no, good goods? No, just because... They would encourage rats. I feel like... I feel like there's foxes and squirrels in my area that are doing so well. Yes. So yeah. I think our badger yeah. and our foxes are doing really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting. I feel like even though I've got a pet, like a pet dog, who hmm. is obviously not wild at all and gets served very nice food from Waitrose out of the fridge every day, so he is not wild, but I still feel there's a connection to the simplicity of the animal world that mm. brings me great mindfulness and great joy. Totally. Um, and I found it, yeah, very humbling, mindful, brings me tranquility to have a dog. Yeah. Do you think there should be some, if you were going to redesign, um, like, some core benefits for human beings, mm. do you think you would what, would, you? what would you add in there? Like, make sure people had access to, what would you, what would you choose on that list? Access to green space, some animals, ideally in their house, because I've definitely noticed that my friends who have young kids and have pets versus my friends who have young kids who don't have pets, Mm. I find the kids with the pets just a bit different. I feel like they're growing greater emotional EQ at an earlier age. So I, I do think that that's very helpful. And actually, I think that this this word mindfulness again has become so fashionable and annoying, maybe. But I don't the, think it's annoying. But the <laughs> but the crux of it about being able to find peace Completely. in your own mind, particularly when we're human and we can easily feel pretty bonkers just being able to find that peace yeah i think is so helpful and who teaches us it if we're lucky we'll have a parent or someone in our family who teaches it yeah. but i don't see it at most schools um and i think it's really important yeah it's interesting how it, there's it's been around for ages mindfulness mm. through theological kind yeah, of through you know, Buddhism, yeah yeah and, and also yeah through through other you know, religions or semi-religions um but it feels like it's it's great that everyone can access it now if they're agnostic or atheist yeah they've got the same access to that yeah um even russell brand used the phrase god but he's like i don't really mean god like a bearded man i mean it could be a power bigger than yourself and that's yeah. kind of fine if it's if it's that yeah how, how do you keep your mental health in check i haven't fully figured it out yet I think I've made I think I've made great strides does anyone fully figure it out I'm not sure well how do you keep it in check is Mm, so partly it's you know partly it's that your mind and your body are connected so if you can create balance between them I think that's a baseline and I was reading something yesterday that said that um 
So academic studies have shown that actually if you have trouble sleeping, one of the key reasons why is that maybe your body hasn't been active enough so totally, it doesn't man. feel like it can rest. Yes. So I sometimes think that mind-body connection is underrated. I've been reading some really cool books on Buddhist philosophy recently, yeah. which I've found really helpful. I listened to a really cool podcast too by this guy that was a monk for a few years called Jay Shetty. Yeah. And then he stopped becoming a monk because interestingly mm. he said that life was too easy when he was a monk in that he didn't have the challenges mm. of a job, friction with his time, he got fed. Mm. Life was kind of well the same clothes every day, not much washing, you mm. know. And so he left monkhood specifically because he wanted to bring these messages of well-being and mindfulness that he learns from being in a monastery yeah. to us, the average people living these crazy lives. And I think he's got some really interesting stuff. I think I kind of come along with that. I think that's, I mean, it's all very well saying, you know, life should be more simple, but in that crucible of, you know, industrial, technological, internet mm. revolution, so many wonderful things have happened um, for humanity, yeah. uh, you know, medical development, and all, you know, lots of other things, some bad ones too, and then our yeah. opinion changes as the years go by on these things. But it's that evolutionary process that's so important to not just abstain from. Yeah, it's all very well to to say, yeah, that is an option, mm. and maybe that would be cool for a period yeah, yeah. of time. But simplicity is dead. I, I think you. <laughs> I think you're right. Simplicity is absolutely dead. We're in this very stark period of evolution. And maybe now, if you look at Darwin's theory of strongest and fittest survive, yeah. maybe being strong and fit today is not about being an Ironman or a CrossFit champion. Yeah. Maybe it's about your mental well-being. Absolutely. There's a re there was a really interesting um, study about how... This is one of the earliest first generations um, of kids from, whether you call it Generation uh, C or, or Generation like millennia, early, uh, uh, early Millennials and stuff. This is the first generation that are engaging with technology knowing it will be made redundant within a few years. Whereas everything else, mm. if you've got a telephone and you grew up with a telephone... You, you know, yes. then when a mobile phone comes yeah. in, that rocks your world. Yeah. And these kids um, now are like, well, that was an app I used for a period of time in my life. There'll be another way. There'll mm. be another thing. Have yeah, you seen this? there'll be something better. It'll, and, and that change, yeah. now they're like, well, one of their, their brains will be tested on their ability to keep up with change and not to keep mementos or be nostalgic. Like nostalgia yeah. may become a different thing, right? That's really interesting. So adaptability and flexibility is very important but I'm sure it was also important to the cavemen in some ways because in many ways they had less control over their environments as we do Yeah. so maybe they had to be flexible and adapt and change in many more ways than we appreciate now, I don't know yeah, what well, well, because life was just swift and brutal and not, no planning and, and also no communication for them really as well. Yeah, so time. like we pretty much know a saber-toothed tiger is not going to come around the corner. We yeah. pretty much, when we walk down the street, we pretty much know what things are going to come around the corner, right? Yeah. But they didn't. 
Yeah, that's right. And so that hypervigilance. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they had to be even more flexible and adaptable yeah. than we do because they had a wider range of possibilities. Yeah, but yeah, we are the product of those successful genes. Yeah. When my wife says, "Stop the oh, stop pausing the telly." What was that? I was like, "It was next door. They've just arrived home." It's like, "Sure, okay, fine, play." That happens yeah. five times in an evening. Oh, really? And when she's like, I'm so sorry, I go, no, don't worry, because that's why you're here today. Yeah. There was an, an ancestor, thousand generations mm. ahead, mm. who ran away from a shadow in the bush because she thought it was a lion. Yeah. And it happened to not be, but she yeah. survived that day or whatever, you know. Yeah. I'm like, these natural things um, of how you react, that's what I love about the, you know, it is like a caveman's brain in this kind of like ultra complex society. Absolutely. And then you get things like social social media. What do you think of social media? Because it's very much in the yeah. discussion like that, that it's actually a bad thing and it might be something we look back on and go, mm. that was like taking cocaine. <laughs> I think social media is fascinating and I've had quite a journey with it. Um, I was a sort of early adopter of um, blogging and worked on a blog called The Tortoise Shell and then one called Citizen Femme, which now has over... 50,000 followers on Instagram and it's amazing how quickly that machine built Um, and now I'm really on a digital detox vibe or perhaps I've even detoxed already I guess all I want from social media is inspiration Mm. but I accept that within that comes a lot of manipulation and a lot of fake images yeah um but i know that now and i accept it i read a great book over christmas called why social media ruins your life i don't i don't know if oh, not the jason lana one no it's by Catherine ormerod i don't uh, know how to pronounce her last name ormerod yeah she's awesome and she was writing about things i've never even heard of before like there's an app called facetune have you heard of it yeah so you pay you pay like thirty dollars a month, and yeah. it means you can Photoshop yourself to your heart's desire. Yeah, I a I'd never even heard of it. B I was absolutely shocked to hear it has millions and millions of subscribers yeah. all around the world. Yeah. and I worry about what that's doing to beauty standards. Yeah, um, and I hope that today's twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen year olds come to social media with a deeply sceptical um, and light-hearted approach. Yeah. Because I think we've had to learn to be more light-hearted um, because otherwise, you know, like the lack of control over it, yeah. is just going to destroy some of the things that are really important in our society. I think it's so sad that there were people out there that didn't realise that they were the guinea pigs you know, it was a live test. It's almost like, uh, is it the Manhattan Project when they started to put, um, <laughs> they started to put like radioactive substances into the milk? Do you hear about this? Lemuria and play- no. Oh, in like, do you know the Manhattan Project? You come across no. this? Oh, check it out. It's amazing. Okay. It's basically the Americans starting to use um, technology and, and nuclear powers um, on their own citizens to uh, just test it out. It was like mm. they became a live test environment. And you could argue that some people have argued that Facebook is exactly that. This went in with no controls from anyone, and it was a live experiment. Yeah. And there's loads of fallout. I mean, there's been 
tons of fallout yeah, terrible things happen from this. Yeah. But, but it, look, social media can be fun, okay? It can be fun, it can be a force for good, and a lot has to happen to take it back there. But I would like it to go back to that place. Like, I have very fond memories of, I don't know, like five years ago, I'm a huge Prince fan, and Prince was in town, <sighs> and he did these hit-and-run gigs. Do you remember? Yeah. So he would post on social yeah. media, like, several times a day, oh, I'm going to do a gig here at 3 o'clock, and then one here at 7 o'clock, so cool. and one here at 9 o'clock, and first come, first serve. Yeah. And I waited outside the Electric Ballroom for five hours, one freezing night in January, but got in, got to see him do a really small performance. And wow. And that was what social media Completely, was yeah. wonderful for, yeah. for me and why I have fond memories of it. And when people come together to help somebody yeah, who's just... absolutely. Had, there, was, there wasn't that in um, the Hurricanes and there was a person on the telly and literally within about... 24 hours she yeah. had 250k yeah given because she'd lost yeah. she'd lost everything yeah. and uh, people yeah. just came together and yeah. they just saw how she was being treated by the news yeah I tried to rescue a dog from a dog meat factory in China only because I found out about it through social media yeah there's no way that would have ever crossed my radar before oh wow yeah I, I sadly got rejected for the dog oh you can imagine that you know dogs who come from dog meat factories are seriously yeah. troubled and I, I don't have the behavioural experience with animals yeah. um, to help with that but one day one day this, and, yeah go on I know, and actually just at that point as well what I love about um, the confusion of this as well is that um, you can grow up in a certain society and yeah. think this is the way we should treat things. Yeah. I eat that cow. Mm. I know you don't. Mm. Uh, uh, but I don't eat that because that's yeah. a can. That's sacred. Whereas yeah. in another country, they're like, oh, no, that's cool, but we prefer not to kill that animal. And then we've got all these super, well, yeah, I'm definitely guilty of it, super judgmental views of like, that's awful. But I'm just, you know, sanitised into how I eat my ham sandwich or my burger and stuff. And yeah. I love that, how, what social media does in terms of stirring that pot up of yeah. all yeah on what you know ledge do you actually stand yeah. is it a security yeah. thought so and you're allowed to think it's awful but it's also humbled you into realizing the world is bigger than you thought it was completely yeah 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 that's quite interesting how kids will get into that early on now so do you think if you were born now and yeah. you were only child now yeah how would you have turned out if you would have been a person who just turns to themselves to solve things would you have made if i was born now yeah I and you were only child now, how would have Mona engaged with things like Google and Facetune? Honestly, I don't know if I would ever leave my bedroom then <laughs> because I grew... I was born in 1983. I remember we first got the internet in the mid-'90s. So and so I lived ones, the majority then, yeah. of my childhood, yeah. you know, computer free. Yeah. So um, with the vivid imagination that I had then, if you gave me the internet, I think a the highest probability outcome would be that I would never have left my room. <laughs> but there is this outside chance as well. I like to think that I could have created or invented something yeah. really amazing. <laughs> just by giving me access to all of that data that I actually didn't have. Because I just had a row of encyclopedias as a kid. Hang on, but we were born... I was born a little bit earlier than you in 79. But I had a computer growing up. Yeah, I had a computer, but 
we had to put a CD into it, the Encarta CD. Do you remember? And that yeah, was your encyclopedia. But that, what about the floppy disks? You, what did yeah, you have? I remember them at school, yeah. You would have had access to some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I would have had, but like, I think like... those encyclopedias were always very, there was a big delay between the data that was published in them and where you were. It's much now, as a book. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, so imagine, so if they produce a successful cancer vaccine tomorrow yeah then probably a week later we'll have the data on what the sample size was what the results were etc etc and that is amazing how rich the data is that we can get now but that was never in my encyclopedias growing up all it would say was oh in 1958 this person created this vaccine for cancer yeah that was the end yeah 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 that is interesting how the um the democratization of this information mm. is um would have changed someone growing yeah. up and that richness and the depth of that data is exactly what enables me to do my job now yeah, yeah. If I didn't know what the carbon emissions of companies were or the percentage of women on their boards or the ratio of CEO pay to the pay of the average worker, I just couldn't do my job. I'd just be pissing about. Yeah. Do you think because of this information has become a lot more available, Mm. um, that change is inevitable then? The more information you pump into a society, does change just at some point become inevitable? So I want to say, yeah, but we both know the problems that there are with the lack of diversity and how um, that small section of society that has the power is doing everything it can to hold on to the power Mm. and higher in its own image. So then the power is perpetuated in this Mm. unequal way. Um, So... Whilst I think change is inevitable, I think the pace, whilst the pace of change in tech is high, Mm. the pace of progressive change in society is Mm. way too slow. Is it increasing though? Is it getting, do you think Mm. people are adapting quicker? No, not if you look at something like climate change. I'm I'm deeply embarrassed Mm. that I've got a 17-year-old girl advocating for me because the most powerful politicians aren't listening and aren't acting. I find this embarrassing. I I think she's right. We have robbed her of her childhood. Yeah, yeah. I've actually spoken to a lot of people and said about, you know, their life and their career, and they do say they feel ashamed. Those who are in their, say, 50s or late 50s, they're like... I was in a position of influence and power at the right time. I could have done something more. Um, it's really, int- I, I, you know, you immediately want to say, no, no, you're doing a great job now. It's like, but, oh, yeah, I guess maybe you might feel like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you just some, some kind of, because um, I'm not stuck to my normal questions. Um, do you think, and we are going to wrap up in a little bit. Sure. Um, I'm really interested in this one for you. Do you have like a mantra or a practice mm. that when things are getting incredibly difficult, um, it could be emotionally or you know, organisationally around you, commu- you know, for you to communicate as well, is there something that removes that stress and gives you a clarity of mind? Um, and something, I don't mean like mindfulness that you can do in a period of time to take you away away. Is there something you can snap you or help you quite quickly free yourself of the bonds of that feeling so i don't think that i'm at a place where i can just do a couple of things to eradicate my stress quickly i can minimize my stress certainly but i think eradication is is still a way away from me 
the two things are firstly gratitude I think is really undervalued just saying these are the resources I have I actually have a lot of resources to solve this problem it's a great way to start the new constructive trail of thought that's going to help that's a great one I've never thought of that in particular the resources is great number one gratitude for the resources and number two focus on things that you can control rather than the things you can't and it's taken me quite a bit of practice to be able to do that or to identify or to let go both like yeah it's really interesting why do we choose to do something quite stupid which is worry about the things we can't control why do we do that i don't know i think that's isn't that the caveman thing maybe that's like you're constantly playing out a situation in your head you're just doing like a demo in your head aren't you each time because you want to be prepared for when it happens. Yeah, that's the caveman way. The, the <laughs> Buddhism way would be to say that you haven't accepted that everything is transitory, that yeah. happiness is transitory, that hope, basically, hope is pointless, they say in Buddhism, because if you have hope, it means you haven't accepted that things are going to be shit sometimes. Hang on. Let me process this, if you may, if I may. Sure. Hope is, a, I would call it a positive outlook, but be prepared for it to be a load of shit as well. That's so, how I would I would look at so it. So I'm not saying I totally agree with this, but it's been something I've been thinking about for a few weeks, that the ideas of happiness being transitory, and so therefore hope and also fear are to a certain extent pointless because they're you're you're projecting a state change in the future yeah and ultimately you can't govern that yeah okay there, there will be times of happiness there will be times of sadness they will just happen to you yeah. you can't protect yourselves from them or stop stop them from happening but so how, just, how did you say somebody who goes there's no point there's no point mona let's not even try no point in what in trying to change situation if there's no point in trying to change the situation, it means that you have quite a worthless perspective of yourself. Yeah, because you have the absence of hope, they might say. But even if I had no hope, I still have the belief in myself and the gratitude for the resources that I have that I can transition things somewhat I can't turn a Sainsbury's pizza into <laughs> a Domino's pizza, which, by the way, I prefer. I much prefer that. But I can take my slightly cardboardy Sainsbury's pizza and, some and buy some extra olives to go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm any the wiser, but I think there's a semantic element to that, and there's also there's a deep truth to. Um, not being comfortable with your state or not accepting your state, right? Yeah. Or just Refusal. knowing that things will change. Well, yeah, that, that is that Buddhist thing of like, oh, you're upset, what were you expecting? And upset and sadness yeah. is literally not getting what you expect. You, that is a, a brutal reality, right? So It is, but I feel that you're looking at things in a starker way yeah. than maybe <laughs> I wanted to portray them. Um, because... In sadness and rubbishness, beautiful things can come 
And particularly if you accept that they are states that will move through the passage of time, maybe you can look at the obstacles and the really, really tricky times as, yeah, really, really shit, but... Necessary. But necessary and interesting opportunities to keep creating better, more beautiful things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the four-day working week. Change your expectations, isn't it? Don't sit there thinking you're going to get everything you need at some point in the future. Change what you actually want and actually what you experience will be different. You can work four days in the week rather than five days if you aim for a different achievement. Oh, that's interesting. I would get a robot to create my... Not four days, three days. <laughs> no, sorry, four-hour working week. Oh, what yeah, am I talking about? Is it four hour? Hour? That's yeah, what he yeah, said. Yeah, He's yeah. like, basically, if you just don't yeah. need to achieve this. Yeah. Some of this was also some really smart investment ideas yeah. and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like that because I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, good idea. Yeah. We, we are, I don't know why we are going to get. Um, does money bring you happiness? I love the optionality of money, yeah. What's the best way to spend it? Experiences rather than stuff every time for yeah. me. yeah. yeah. I I want experiences and it's amazing how much money we spend on leaving our, you know, kind of wonderful lives um, in London to go and sit on a landscape with peace and nothingness, right? Yeah. Like, there's something in that that I'm trying to unpick a bit that... I don't need to go to Bali to sit in a rice paddy. I can just go to Hampstead Heath and try and nurture <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, I channel the same. I shouldn't have to live with such extremities. Yeah. Know, I should be able to find more internal balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're nearly at the end. I always end on a question in Series 2, which is, what's your relationship? It's a really cheerful one. What's your relationship with death? Well, I think that death is of a physical body uh, in a human death is of a physical body and death is um, the end of your interaction with that person on a live basis but it's not the end of your interaction with that person on a cerebral basis so your memory of the person yeah yeah and the things that they've taught you and sometimes actually it's when people die that their biggest lessons can be revealed to you and you choose to live differently as a result so so then are they more alive to you now that they're gone or actually before when you would have a cup of tea with them you know really interesting i can answer that question definitely but before i do what's yours What's your experience of that? Have you had someone who died? Yeah, yeah, recently, actually. One of the most sort of colourful, lively females in my family. Um, And maybe so lively, in fact, that I was a little bit, um, not intimidated by her, but maybe a little bit quieter um, around her. And I didn't necessarily know how to process that. Sure. That vibrancy yeah and actually now that she's gone and i'm taking a step back i'm like yeah there's really amazing things particularly about service to others that i'm going to take forwards yeah 
That's amazing. Mm. Uh, service to others on the effect you can have on others with your your personality and the way you yeah, are. Yeah, not not just personality, but again, sharing resources, yeah. whether that's time or food or you know whatever it is. That's really nice. Have you had the, the con- someone um, leave this world and then it's brought something else into focus that gives you some sense of healing, but not because mm. the person was so fantastic? Do you know what I mean? Like realizing that death actually it can put the way someone behaved into perspective. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I haven't experienced that yet. No, interesting. Um, yeah. Okay, that's good. I I would love to keep talking with you about stuff. Um, we um, maybe we could do the the follow up one that you suggested. Yeah. Um, where I'm going to we... interview you. <laughs> I'm going to ask you all the questions. It is an important thing to maybe um, see what we you know from your data yeah. geek side. What do we get from some of the series two interviews, series one interviews that were in common with people? Yeah, but also. What drives a person to ask the questions that you ask? In that, I think there's so much that we can unlock. Some people are question answerers and some people are question askers. And you're the asker, obviously, otherwise this podcast wouldn't exist. So, yeah, let's unpick that because maybe during this podcast over how long have you been doing it now a year this year yeah we've got two series in a year i imagine it's impacted you and how you live in some subtle ways but maybe also certain bolder ways and we um i think your listeners would love to hear that okay i'm not sure i agree with the last bit but yeah i'm definitely interested to unpick some stuff because i haven't really put it down uh in that kind of way so maybe we'll do that as a special bonus for the end of the series can't wait awesome thank you so much for having a chat thank you thank you